to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou, and I am joined by Blake Murphy on a Tuesday. Producer? Blake Murphy. show that has uh, your own theme music you know so it's we nice. don't even have our own theme music you could though i mean i guess yeah i mean oh uh, you know what actually technically alex's own theme music uh he, he did unveil some of his freestyle raps um on the show last season this year he's not doing it as much because you want mom's... me to do that at some point too if you have some i would love to hear it you got some mom spaghetti in that locker yeah <laughs> yeah um by the way uh raptors i call for delivery about an hour ago <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man um raptors four and one on mondays now so we, this has been like a, a run of positive blake murphy tuesdays yeah 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 that's right i like um, it i think last week when we did our like 20 stats on at the quarter mark of the, the season oh uh, no the, that was the week before pistons right yeah one of the one of the meme stats i brought in was that the raptors had yet to lose on like weekdays and like had yet to win i think on on weekends or something like that um Good thing you got that stat out while you could. Yes, yeah. Both Turns of those. Out, uh, the day ended. of the week doesn't actually impact anything with the result, to be honest. Uh, maybe just Sunday uh, for opponents coming to Scotiabank Arena, who also got to spend Saturday in Toronto. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where the Raptors actually don't want opponents on a back-to-back. Sometimes, right. yes, you'd rather them have the off night here. Well, you know, one of the things we talked about too was just like teams. I know the Raptors had played a tough schedule at that point, but, you know, the Raptors were coming up on a stretch where a lot of teams were coming in on the second night of back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. And Cleveland, I thought, I mean, look, the Raptors did a really good job locking them down, holding them to 88 points. Um, that's the the lowest opposing point total since December 10th, uh, where the Raptors beat the Knicks. This is back in 2021, last year. So pretty much the whole calendar year, 88 points is a really, really good result for the Raptors. Um, and I thought that defensively they were strong. We'll talk about that. But at the same time, they had just played second out of a back-to-back. They had just played in Detroit the game before that. They actually struggled with Detroit, which is funny. Um, Their whole team has also been sick, like the Raptors team. Like, mm. you've got Chetty Oseman, like, leaking fluids yeah. on the court. And then, like, Jared Allen, Kevin Love, Lamar Stevens were all out. Yeah. And yeah. those all seemed like the kind of outs that the Raptors have had lately where, like, right. oh, your knee's sore and also you got this illness that's been going around and... Fred's yeah. it three weeks in and still feeling it. And so the Cavs had a little bit of that, but that's why we last week we point out stats like, hey, you have the most rest advantage games mm-hmm. remaining on the schedule because you see in a game like last night how that has an impact. Yeah, yeah. And, and even just listening to like, you know, their coach, Jimmy Bickerstaff speak before the game, um, gave some great quotes about Pascal's growth over the years, talked to, shared some good perspective about guys like Evan and and Scotty and the expectations that they have coming into the second year and, and talking about how, um, you know, the, when players want to be great, they shouldn't shy away from expectations. So he was kind of fully embracing that mm-hmm. both for his own player and also, uh, you know, on behalf of Scotty, I guess as well. But kind, kind of similar sophomore years for them. Oh, okay? where it's like, we'll you talk know, about it. It was a bit of a battle of mid yesterday. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of it's going to be the headline item in any Raptors Cavs game for the foreseeable future. It's yeah, OK. Um, Scotty edged him for rookie of the year. Obviously, um, Evan Mobley 
when I tune in, has looked ahead of Scotty Barnes defensively. Yeah. And they're asking him to do a lot more as a hub offensively. And that's pretty up and down. The The big difference being, I think, that Scotty is maybe a little more comfortable at this stage in the in-between game. Mm-hmm. And Evan Mobley is significantly more comfortable dealing with contact and getting the free throw line. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I didn't even have this on the rundown, to be honest, because it, it didn't really feel like a main determinant of yesterday's game. But watching it, my impression is just like, I don't think Evan is very good at initiating offense right now. Um, he kind of has like a little bit of a predictableness to his game. There's not like a catch you by surprise kind of thing with him. Obviously, he's effective at the basket because he's, he's pretty big and he's like, even for a slight guy, like pretty physical down low. So he's able to finish through contact or at least get to the free throw line where, where he's good. But um, the jumper is inconsistent for him. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see that he was shooting like under 30% from the season just based on his performance last night from three. I think he's not like, taken many either. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of the mid-range game stuff, like I think people kind of compared like one of the popular comps was like Chris Bosh or, or, or Kevin Garnett, right? Which is setting the bar really high, but you kind of get it, right? Like a, a, a lanky big like that who, you know, has that perimeter skill, who shows flashes and it looks really nice. Those are some really skilled bigs to compare yeah. yourself to. Have you seen like, young KG? Even f- forget the the jumpers and stuff like that. Just watch some of the young KG in Team USA practices and stuff. Like it, it's it's terrifying what he could do. And obviously, Reserve Raptor fans, we know what Chris Bosh could do. And then Chris so. Bosh, when he left, obviously in Toronto was the hub of the offense, and maybe assist totals weren't always there and stuff. But he, had, he, got he up was to five at one point. Yeah, know? and he was the number one guy. Like everything ran through him yeah. on, on teams where a lot of the pieces didn't fit. And then when he went to Miami, he changed his role, but he basically became what every team in the NBA has chasing has been chasing since as a like defend and little things center like someone obviously yep. with a high skill level but who just defends like crazy rebounds and then on offense gets his where he can yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i thought he yeah if he turned into chris bosh and you used chris bosh as you would in 2023 mm. or uh, 2022 i guess right um yeah you'd be uh he'd probably be a hall of famer too yeah and by the way it's not even like mobley had a bad game last night. i actually thought when you look at the box score like he had like a, a pretty big double double, right? 15 rebounds, you know. But at the same time, it, it just, I think they needed more offensive creation from him. And I think that a lot of times the Raptors were able to hold him down. Um, Especially on a night where Donovan Mitchell didn't really have it. Yeah. It, was he sick too? Like, what, what was going on with him? Or do you think that's just OG? Is that is that the OG? I mean, man, the OG stuff is getting to the point where, like, the propaganda you know, makes itself at this point. I mean, come on. It's not you got even, a guy who's got 121 straight games of double-digit scoring. It's not even... Snapped. It's not even uh, propaganda at this point because it's not coming from Toronto anymore. Like, the mm. call is not coming from inside the house. You're just on NBA Twitter, and, like, Jared Dubin last night is like, this is the... Like, just send this tape yeah. to voters instead of, like, an actual campaign. And you're seeing it from smart people around NBA. Obviously, Zach Lowe's been on the OG as an elite defender train forever. Nikias, you you run into fans of other teams who are like, holy crap. Like, yeah. like if there are Mavs fans out there, I'm sure they were like, damn. You, you, know they, you, know, you know they were impressed when they were like, we need to find a way to get OG on our team yeah. and help Luka. Yeah, that's – honestly, you know. that might be the – might be the biggest tell is like when people when you're if we could track like you know how google tracks search terms mm. if we could track trade machine terms <laughs> i think you could actually do that in one of the other trade machines not the espn one but the other oh the trade nba or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. see there's, how there's often like guys are getting players thrown in. who are most often thrown in there 
which I got to say, it's, it's kind of funny to think about because it's the, the top of the list is always like Westbrook and then like Miles Turner, you know, just yeah. Laker fans trying to make that deal happen. By the way, shout out to Andrew Nemhard uh, with the game winner over LeBron oh. last night. Mm, oh. Man, I, 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 obviously, I think the Raptors are pretty happy with Christian Coloco, but I do wonder if, if, if Nemhard just dropped like three or four more spots. Fairly what, confident what the Raptors, Raptors. Yeah. I know Nick Nurse said after the, one of the workouts, it's like that's the best workout We've seen it at anybody in our gym this this year. And they've been attached to him for a long time, right? Like, he yeah. was with the Canada basketball program. He's been with the, the program for a long time. But, like, he was the honorary young guy that travels with the senior team, even if you're not expected to have a big role. And mm. he is kind of what the Raptors look for as, like, a longer, super smart point guard type. Yes. Um, I think he would have been a Raptor. If he's also, the same agency as Pascal. There you I go. That helps. You know, it's just good, good, just good, good relationships all around. But anyway, shout out to Andrew Nemhard. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I thought, uh, yeah, just last night's game was just really refreshing to watch. Like uh, defensively, that that level. I mean, yes, the Cavs really could not shoot uh, the three at all, and um, you know, you do expect them to shoot a little bit better than what eighteen percent, seven of thirty-eight. But at the same time, I thought the Raptors did a really good job of forcing the right guys to shoot. You're you're more or less okay with Dean Wade shooting six threes. You're you're more or less okay, even with Evan Mobley shooting four threes. He's not an efficient three point shooter at this point in his career. You're you're pretty happy with Chetty Osman and you know Isaac Okoro in particular. These guys kind of guys. It's just like you can obviously you want to run them off the line, but you want to pressure them, uh, and most importantly, you want to force the ball out of you know Garland's hands and and Mitchell's hands. And I think OG obviously led the charge against Mitchell. I mean, my God, his defense was amazing there. But even against Garland, I mean, like, say for a short stretch there in the second quarter where the Raptors defensively kind of came undone, mostly because they had some bad shots at the start of the second quarter there with Pascal out. Um, yeah, they did really well defensively. There's a lot of defensive highlights in this game. Yeah, you mentioned it was the fewest points they've given up in almost a calendar year. Uh, third best defensive performance of the season when we look at uh, when we adjust for pace. And perhaps the most notable one, you mentioned how poorly Cleveland shot. Short of that win against Miami about a month ago, this is the worst an opponent has shot. And that's been something to track because as Eric Karinas pointed out at The Athletic, as people, as people will tweet every once in a while when they look at the leaderboards, it's really, really hard to be a top 10 defense and a top 10 team in net rating while you're the effective field goal percentage or the true shooting percentage you're giving up is among the highest in the league. Now you yeah. can, you can tiptoe and do that. And the Raptors do that by forcing a ton of turnovers and getting way more shots than the other team, just not letting the opponent shoot a lot. But if you want to look for games where their defense is really on, I think that's like, they're always going to get their turnovers. Yeah. They didn't really as much last night, but usually like more often than not, they're going to get their turnovers. It's, can you limit the other team shooting? And, and you know, some of that is shot spectrum. Some of that is three point variance, but I, I don't know. I came away from last night, pretty impressed, like even shorthanded. That's a pretty good Cavs team. Like that's, that's still a Cavs starting lineup that has three guys in it that Cavs Twitter will say should be in the all-star game. Yeah. The team of four all-stars uh, had three of them last night, but uh, only scored 88 points. It's, it's a tough look. Um, I mean, the Raptors only scored 100, and they've got, like, seven All-Stars. That's fine, man. It's only because Pascal, if Pascal played more than 30 minutes, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think scoring was an issue for the Raptors last night. No, I, I think one thing with watching the defense last night, especially watching it back this morning, is just, like, the Raptors didn't sell out defensively to, to, to knock out Mitchell or even Garland. Like, you know, they did a good job, obviously, showing them a crowd, especially in the paint, you know, 
deterring them from three-point shots. But at the same time, like, they put a lot of length on those guys. Those guys are smaller. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're guards, right? And the Raptors only have forwards, as we know. Um, and they didn't have to sell out. And instead, the Raptors were really solid in the paint. Um, the only times I think the Raptors really came undone just a little bit was more on the offensive glass, right? I thought Mobley was active on that front. Robin Lopez is just a... Just, he's just a load to handle down there. He's so he's so big. Coro had a bunch as well. Yeah, They're just kind of chaos ones. Well, you know, Coro's the, the the type of rebounder where no one's guarding him in the corner, so no, that means no one's blocking him out. He also he does, so and he, I he does get in there. A couple I times. don't want to take a shot at Chris Boucher because he had a very very good game on Saturday and was just about the one of the only Raptors off the bench the last month to mm-hmm. to put anything together. But Coro also had a little bit of that. Oh, you have a bunch of offensive rebounds because you shot one for eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Boucher had that against Dallas. I think he still got to his double double, but he oh, he, yeah. was, he shot very poorly. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, once again, this is a Chris Boucher propaganda program. So I'm going to remain yeah, silent. Yeah, that's, that's coming Decem- up until December 12th, and then afterwards we'll have more. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, it was it was a tough night for Chris. I I, I agree. Um, and but you know, I, I thought the Raptors defensively were just really really strong. And of course, like you know, you pair that with the fact that you have the confidence that you know what. I might not necessarily need to gamble for as many steals tonight because we can just give the ball to Pascal like every trip down and he'll just score. I, I, I mean, I don't know what the specific analysis that we can kind of try to do. And, you know, it looked like obviously the mid-range game was working for him and he even hit a, a fading three in the corner off a baseline inbound with 1.4 seconds left. But my my overall consensus, my, just, my, my general take on Pascal's performance last night was just... That boy, nice. Yeah, yeah. You tweeted <laughs> the meme. He's he's really nice, man. He, he is. scored at will last night. It's and like the the final line of eighteen and eleven and five is good. Sure, yeah, yeah. But like he only played thirty minutes and he forced nothing. Like him coming out right off the top and being like, boom, two difficult buckets in the paint. It's like mm-hmm. okay, that that's established. And you see, this isn't all Siakam, but one of the popular stats going around during Siakam's absence was what the team shot from three before he went down. And after he went down and there was a huge swing and that's not like Siakam shooting 34% on threes. That is not because you're missing Pascal Siakam as a knockdown shooter. It's because you're missing Pascal Siakam as your best creator of offense for others, Mm. whether it's by passing or just sucking in defensive attention. It also moves, you know, OG from on ball to in the corner a little bit more. He knocks down four threes last night. Fred can, I mean, Fred was still playing off the ball a bunch anyway, but him and Pascal have that, synergy especially in transition where boom fred hits three threes and they're all really simple in the flow of things except for one i think that was kind of the tough rattle around one um so yeah you you see those gains and i know we want to talk about the the offensive side of this and and some of the rotation stuff but i'm curious when you watch it back on defense how much did you see like you talked about that the raptors didn't quite gamble as much as maybe we're used to and they weren't as hyper aggressive some of that you know there was a funny play late in the game where Wancho's assignment appears to be just like guide your guy to OG <laughs> just like take him there and Wancho's obviously like he's he's big enough uh-huh. and effortful enough this is why it's so much easier to to hide uh, a big mm. poor defender versus a, a small poor defender and he's not he's not poor he's fine uh, he's just compared to the guys around him yeah, yeah you know he's the guy you're gonna hide and yeah it seemed like his assignment at one point was just like yeah yeah get the guy to OG's side of the floor and let OG do chaos but the other thing is, and this is, you know, part of why maybe Gary's gambles haven't played out as well over the last couple of weeks. And Achu is still not back for a couple of weeks, but you have Pascal back. How much did you notice the effect of just having Pascal as a help defender? Because I still maintain 
you know, that this is the right setup of not always using him in the primary actions because he is probably your best help defender. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not just that. I mean, it's you need him to carry such a big load for you offensively. There's no necessarily a, a need to necess- to like put him on the best guys. I think when he needs to, he can do a job. Like I thought last night he switched on to Darius Garland at one point, late mm-hmm. shot clock, stayed with him. Oh, no surprise. I mean, I've seen Pascal go one-on-one against John Wall back when it was still prime John Wall. His like, yeah, his yeah. like Pascal's first two weeks in the NBA was like, yo, go guard Melo, guard KD, yeah, guard yeah. LeBron. Well, his first ever play, I think, was blocking KD in preseason. Yeah. This one KD, KD first joined the Warriors. I remember, Vancouver, I, I remember writing a piece about it, like the first or second week of the season. And Dwayne Casey was just like baptism by fire. Like he's going to be in there. And I mean, at that point, the way that roster was constructed, it was he's got like if he wasn't going to be your best defender on the floor, like you were in trouble, that was not a good defensive starting five. And it's funny how it changed like pretty quickly where even bench mob year, we were all like, Oh my God, like Pascal's so good defensively. He could be a lockdown guy. Mm. And then he actually got too good offensively and, yeah. and OG's obviously very good defensively. Where it's just like, yeah, yeah, OG's that guy now. And I, at the tail end of last year the very end of last year it almost looked like we were getting to well og's too good offensively precious can be that guy now (laughs) obviously there's been a a step back there but um yeah yeah it's been it's been really fun and i think pascal's super well suited to that you know weak corner to help in the paint and also jump passing lanes and then just like rebound and finish possessions rebound and and then the the grab and go stuff off a defensive rebound which he is you know we love Boucher doing that. We love Scotty doing that. But Pascal is one of the very best in the entire league at that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing is with Pascal's length and how well he closes out and his speed, that lets you zone up the weak side so much easier. Like if it's, if you help elsewhere and you want to go four on three on one side of the floor and you get into those awkward one guys kind of shading two shooters, one in the corner, one on the wing, Siakam is your best, your most capable guy of, you know, stunting or closing out in a way that it gives your next guy time to recover back. And, you know, you see the odd Chris, the, you know, Boucher's the best at blocking threes mm-hmm. and you don't even get to that point. If you don't have someone on that side of the floor that can give Boucher or whoever it is that extra split second to recover. Yeah. And it defensively reminds me a little bit of the way Milwaukee uses Giannis. Mm-hmm. Now, of course the, the Bucks play a very different defensive style just because they have different personnel, right? You have Brooke Lopez, who's another defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah. Uh, who's able to to really play a lot of drop coverage very effectively for you, and therefore Giannis can stay at home a lot and come over and block shots more often. But it's kind of the same deal where, you know, you have Pascal waiting along that baseline. He's able to operate. The rebounding point is is something that's so underrated with Pascal because he's been leading the Raptors in rebounding, obviously, when he's played. Um, and what, last night, 30 minutes, he gets 11 rebounds, and that's not even him, like, fully up to speed yet. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, he just he does a great job. And then I think... I think offensively, it's it's always going to be the the draw with him because his growth in that area over the years has just been really, really fun to watch. Like, the fact that he took seven shots, he made seven shots last night. I think all of them were in the first half. The second half, the, the, the Cavs started double-teaming a lot more. He was much more a distributor, and other guys were able to score as well. But, um, you know, it, it, a lot of times, there were tough buckets. Like, the, the Cavs were actually playing him quite well. Okoro was trying to be in his jersey all night, pressing him up from, like, 30 feet plus. Right. Um, you know, even Dean Wade, as much as he, the Raptors picked on Dean Wade, I thought Dean Wade was at least in position most times. Look, there's a, a reason up. that guy's in the rotation and got good money. Like, Dean Wade's a, a yeah. real player. Yeah. Just because he 
looks like me doesn't mean he can't defend at NBA level. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he uh, he he tried hard out there. But my trying to what I'm trying to say is Pascal's touch and 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 the growth in his game. Even some things. One thing I like to watch for, obviously, because you can't really do this in real real time when you're watching the game, either in person or on TV. But when you watch it back, just watch Pascal's footwork and how he gets to some mm-hmm. of these shots. It's really really nice. Yeah, there's also that extra layer of, I mean, the the passing is just, it's reached the point that we we kind of tracked with DeMar, right? It's like, okay, as a rookie, just like score. And mm-hmm. then you got to learn to score against defensive attention. And then you got to learn to score against defensive attention, but also pass out of that. And now Pascal's starting to flirt with that level of you're also manipulating the defense. So it's not only reacting, it's if I do this, I know they'll do that. Yes. So I can set this other thing up for myself or for someone else. Um, there's also he he's really, you know, over the years it's been up and down, but I think his ability to judge when to initiate contact and when to avoid contact in the paint has gotten sharper. Yeah. And you see it with some of those stop and starts. Obviously, the spin move. Um, you know, the Raptors need him. He only had four free throw attempts last night, and the Raptors didn't have a lot as a team, but that's gonna be one of the things that is a big boost to this offense, too, is Pascal's the only person on this team that can reliably get to the free throw line. Um, so Stat for you. Last night, the Raptors half-court offense mm-hmm. on a per-possession basis. The best it had been since that October 31st 30-point blowout of the Hawks. Whew. And Pascal was great in that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, It was their third best half-court offense game of the season. Uh, but, yeah, their best since October 31st. So. I mean, it, it looked that way, and that's the thing. Like, it, it, I was a little surprised that the Raptors only finished with 100 points because that's like they S- slow pace offensively. Yeah, maybe that was just it. But I think part of that is just also Pascal taking his time. Like, there's one play where the Raptors got the stop. Fred hit it to Pascal early in transition um, because the Cavs had numbers back. They were able to double Pascal pretty much right away. Pascal kicked it back out to Fred, and then Fred just kind of looked around, um, saw where everyone was, and just threw it right back into the post for Pascal. This time, the Raptors were properly spaced and had enough guys in the front court. And Pascal just, you know, made a move, bumped Chetty Osman, faded away to an area in the baseline where you just know Chetty obviously being a smaller player, but also with that bump, he's not coming back to contest that shot. And so Pascal was just able to fade away for a jumper. I mean, it's it's a play where ultimately all you really got was a mid-range jumper with five seconds off on the clock. But there's 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 got to be more like nuance to that kind of analysis because that's not a bad shot at all. That's mm-hmm. a mismatch. And and you see star players all the time setting up the defense to make sure that they're they're in position. So yeah. Uh, yeah, one other really impressed, man. Really one impressed. other note to kind of tie the two ends of the floor together. You mentioned how important Pascal is in transition in part because of his defensive rebounding. Uh, last night, even with the Raptors not forcing a ton of turnovers, their frequency of getting out in transition with Pascal on the floor was way higher than we've seen with Pascal out. In fact, they only matched that twice the entire time he was out. So even Mm. though last night felt like a slower pace game, it was a slower pace game based on just raw number of possessions. And the Raptors did, you know, by their standards, a a poor job forcing live ball turnovers. They were really, really good off of Cleveland misses. And and Pascal is such a huge impact factor in that way too. There's just... I know we're kind of just glowing about the guy, but he's playing at an all-NBA level. Yeah, you, I mean, you just didn't have him for the last 10 games, and you immediately see helps the defense, helps the rebounding, helps the transition game, helps the half-court offense. Like, there's no area of the way the Raptors play and the level Pascal plays at where everything doesn't just immediately get way easier for everyone else, including Nick Nurse. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
that's the thing. I, there were very few times in this uh, last night's game where Nick had to call the timeout because the Raptors were in a, a scoring drought or because the Raptors weren't defending well. Like it, it felt like they had control of the game all the way through. Even in the first half, obviously, when the game was 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 closer. Um, but the other guy that has been drawing a lot of headlines because he carried such a great load for the Raptors while Pascal was out was OJ Anobi. You know, I think OG was still fairly um, aggressive with his offense, but at the same time, when I watch back on the film, obviously defensively did such a great job against Mitchell, right? We all know that, but offensively, it felt like OG could just settle into his role. He it was so much more natural. Like he, what he scored, uh, what did OG have last he had night? 20, 20 on 13 attempts. Right? So, so four, four of six on three, four of seven inside the arc. Super efficient night, right? The four threes made is, is, is a great sign. I don't think he did that even one time with Pascal out. And a lot of that is just less in transition, less playmakers around you, him having the ball more often. He's not going to self-generate threes, right? He's, he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy. Obviously, we saw him hit those uh, two trailer threes, yeah. one from Scotty, one from Pascal. But the, the, even the rest of the game, the other four twos that um, that uh, OG was able to make, there was a, a high-low pass from Thad on a cut where he was able to duck mm-hmm. in and score a layup. There was the uh, tic-tac-toe passing sequence with Pascal, Pascal midair, yeah. right? That was an easy dunk for him. Then he got a mid-range jumper attacking Evan Mobley, uh, step back, put it behind his back, and yeah. then step back for the jumper. I mean, that's yeah. a tough shot, but that, if, if OG ever masters that, like, watch out. And then he had another mid-range jumper. Like, yeah. It was so smooth. He didn't have to work so hard for it. And my question to you, Blake, is, like, do you think that him getting those easier chances and and, and having had the reps now to do some of the harder things – he probably has more legs to, to hit some of these shots. I think so. That's my theory, at least. And there's the reason you are patient with OG working on things in season and the reason that you're, you look for, you know, you look for silver linings when a guy gets hurt because what else are you going to do? But there is, you know, it's the old Pascal during the Kawhi season thing of, okay, Kawhi's going to miss 22 games and those are Pascal's chances to start slowly learning to take a bigger role. Mm. It's not just about eventually the reins will get handed over. It'll be, it's about, okay, well, OG is going to average the same number of field goal attempts as last year. His usage rate isn't going to go up over 20%. Can he be more efficient in those and more comfortable? And can you keep him happy because he does get the freedom to take a couple of those step back jumpers that we know he likes to have that in his package. And it can be a little awkward within the flow of the offense. But when a guy defends at that level and does all the, the, the play finishing stuff for you so well, you know, that's when you're okay with, if he had missed both of those, like who cares? He still had such a good game. Yeah, of course. Um, he's so, it. so yeah. there's a, there's a lot in there. And I, I think last night was a, it wasn't even as far as you want to go in terms of what does OG's role look like offensively when everyone's coming back and, and you know, everything's in place. But I do think that, it's a good snapshot of, oh, how does OG still get his offense with with Siakam back? It's not really a huge problem because he's going to be way more efficient. Yeah. And yeah. there's going to be more room, less room on volume, but more room physically on the floor for him to do that kind of stuff he wants to be empowered to do. Right. Because, again, you compare the eight shots that he made last night to some of the other games where he's made, like, you know, ten shots, you know, of late against Miami or against Dallas or whatever. Those but those those games, unless OG was stealing the ball at half court and taking it <laughs> in for a dunk, man, he had to he had to take the punishment down low, play against a double team, hold off a bigger defender. It was just like so much work went into generating those baskets. Versus when you look at his game last night, part of the reason he was more efficient, he just he could just finish. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he can just pick his spots and attack. And I think that, you know, the bigger thing too is because we'll have a conversation about this after the break, is about like 
you know, what Nick is trying to do in terms of maximizing the team, right? And sometimes people kind of a concern about, well, if this guy comes back, then the volume is going to be there for him and maybe his stat lines won't look as good and maybe we can't push our player agenda as much. That's not the point. The point is to, like, make the team as best as possible. And the idea is to sort of obviously, especially with your supporting guys, make them as efficient as they can be, right? Because the main guys, whether it's it's Fred, whether it's uh, Pascal or, or Scotty to a lesser degree and OG to a lesser degree, those guys are all going to generate, but you want your supporting guys to be super efficient. And we know that every single time OG is put into a supporting role, he's going to be super efficient on those. Basically, when Pascal and or Fred are out, OG becomes a higher usage guy with like a 55-ish true shooting percentage, yep. which is fine. But when it's it's more than fine, that's an average efficiency on like slightly above average volume and, and he's still defending at an OG level. But when the, when he's on the floor with those guys, he then becomes just like a lethally efficient number three and whether or not he has the third most shots, whatever, but you know, the pecking order is Pascal and Fred first in terms of initiation and the, you know, the option to shoot or whatever. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's tough because it's, it might be a little hard to have that conversation of, Hey, you're going to take three or four less shots a game now um, because Siakam's back and, and Scotty's back and we've got to work everyone in, but you might end up with the same number of points anyway. Like, yeah. I don't think that's, that's how, and then the other thing is, you know, how else you get kind of more freelance opportunities in the offense is if you're up 10 or 12 in yes. a game, yeah. you can do that a little more freely. And last night was maybe not the best example because Cleveland kind of just hung around long enough. But yeah, you start blowing teams out, then uh, then yeah, you can do whatever you want on offense. Yeah. No, it was, it was a great game last night. And um, the only thing really is just to discuss sort of uh, the management of the team because we did see the Raptors change up their starting five last night. But we're going to take a quick break right here. Uh, you've been listening to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou, joined by Blake Murphy from everywhere, really. What? Actually, I was going to say. Do you forget like, what show I'm on? No, you're on drive time. But, like, I'm just like, you're you're everywhere, though. You know? Like, you're everywhere. I see you uh, pregame. I'm on that Michelle Branch. What does that mean? This song, Everywhere. Oh. Alex would have got it. I, no, I know Alex is at home Alex right would be just over there chuckling right punching now. Punching the screen right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a big Michelle Branch stand. I think it had something to do with Her- I don't know she has a new album out. It's it just like it uh kind of seemed like she got into the uh she like did a deep like I'm going to listen to a bunch of Fleetwood Mac and then like kind of sound like that. That's that's is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's not my thing, but it like Fair. the bar is so high with that first album, you know. Yeah. Um 
I'll let Alex answer why he's such a big Michelle Branch stan, yeah. but uh, I do know the answer, and it is kind of funny to think about. This in a, is in a dark uh, way. Yeah, this is also uh, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, Will Lou will only bring on guests on the show if you if you own a Michelle Branch T-shirt. That's that's why me and Will or me and Alex are the uh, the regulars. V's probably got one somewhere too. Yeah, most likely, man. He's he's got a sensitive side too. Um, okay, so let's talk about the rotations last time because mm-hmm. Nick made a move that honestly we haven't seen him make that much, right? As much as we call him the mad scientist, something like that tries different defenses. What he didn't really try last year was different starting lineups when he had ever. Yeah, he had the same five guys in the starting lineup whenever they were healthy, right? It was going to be uh, Fred, Gary, Scotty, OG, Pascal. Mm-hmm. And whenever those five guys were available, they all started, right? I, I think maybe there's one exception or maybe even not. I don't even understand. But anyway. Those but last five- year, the only exception, I believe, was the opener where Gary came off the bench. Yes. And even that was yeah. like an asterisk because Pascal was it, right? That w- Pascal was out. And also... Um, I don't know. We just had oh, the, yeah, the play Goron. Goron. <laughs> Why was Goron in the starting five? I don't five, know. Man? What was he even doing there? And then, like, so uh. this is this is actually like a fascinating Nick Nurse thing since he took over the job. Like, he has always talked about wanting that lineup versatility. Well, and he used to do it with Serge and JV, and then yes. even Serge and Mark until Mark was just like, "Come on, I'm, I'm clearly better." Yeah, and then you know he had the cover that year too of Kawhi missing. A quarter of the season right, right so you got to mix it up but then yeah. the following year it was the same thing it's like oh like the talk at camp was we have seven or eight starters and we'll just rotate them in and out on matchup and then he settled into a five whenever they were healthy as well right. which is fine like i i think players would tell you there's a value to knowing your role and knowing when your minutes are coming and sure. stuff yeah, yeah. but i think when like i don't i don't mean this as in like nick nurse wouldn't have made this move otherwise but i do think the injuries and multiple guys coming back at once was a helpful cover in I've wanted to try something different with the starting lineup. Mm. And it was a little tough to do that when we're an above 500 team and things are working with the regular five. And now you have, you know, you have the cover of, well, Scotty and Pascal are both on minutes restrictions and it's too hard to juggle them both in the starting lineup that way. And we need someone who can, you know, create a little bit more with the second unit because Siakam won't get to run those Siakam and bench units. Like it was just a really convenient timing for something. I kind of feel like he's wanted to try for a little bit, not necessarily this five, but a different five. Yes. And I think he did definitely tried it because um, yeah, last night uh, Pascal returned in the lineup. uh, Scotty returned in the lineup uh, other guys as well. But uh you know, he he brought Gary off the bench. He brought Scotty off the bench. He started Thad and Wancho, who had been starting of late, and honestly doing pretty well in their roles. Those guys, those two have a nice chemistry together. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. We, we, you and I have talked a bunch about, like, Thad's always going to look better with, like, more starters because he makes things, like, he helps great players. Yes, he does, yeah. And then there's also just, like, not that Wancho isn't a good player, but for whatever reason, he, him and Wancho just have, like, a mind meld on the cuts. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's also just, like, you know, these guys know where they're going to be like productive in the league. Like, I don't think Wancho has any exceptional physical abilities that's going to allow him to be super successful at NBA basketball to the degree where he's going to continue to have a long career. And Thad has had a very long career. He used to be exceptionally physically uh, adept, but now he's just kind of like can kind of do it occasionally, but he's it's all craft and guile at this point. So at this point, Thad Young is just a Spanish national team player is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, he might have to be the next Lorenzo Brown is what, what I'm trying <laughs> to say here. Shout out to Lorenzo Brown, man. Uh, but anyway, um, 
Yeah, so th th that was the decision. You know, Nick kind of explained it after the game. You know, he's like, a whole bunch of guys coming back at once. You know, a couple of years ago, we, you know, we brought a whole uh, a couple of guys back into the lineup and they struggled and the Raptors lost that game. So he's like, just trying to keep some balance as well with some of the starts. Like, didn't really give like one specific answer. Um, and then he was also asked like, hey, did you have a conversation to break the news with these guys? And Nick was like, no, I, I just, it was shoot around. I was showing our defensive matchups and that's where Scotty and, and Gary found out that they were coming off the bench. And, um, you know, that that's that's kind of just that. And, and Nick's just like, look, I'm just trying to get the team to play as good as possible. And clearly they were able to get a great result last night. Um, so he had the answers. But, I mean, then when Scotty was asked about it, uh, it didn't sound, you know, the same level of conviction maybe as the way Nick kind of uh, gave his answer. So here, here's Scotty's comment. Uh, it was a little different. For sure. It was all right. Uh, I don't know. It was it was I guess. What's the difference for you? I don't know. I'm used to being out there to start off the game, but you know, it's they I guess it was just a little adjustment, I guess. Huh? It was just different, I guess. Okay. did it catch off guard? No. I knew it was happening. It was just different. You okay with it? Yeah, it's whatever, whatever the scheme was, the game plan, it was fun. Um, so, I mean, first off, obviously it's it's a little bit hard for Scotty in that situation because those are some slightly difficult questions to answer at times. Obviously, it's a bit of an awkward thing, and he's not just going to come out and say like, "Hey, obviously, I want to start." But at the same time, um, the way he was responding to it did, did kind of remind me of. Uh, oh, this is uncomfortable. It was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, the way he was speaking did kind of remind me of, like, you know, when, when your grandparents call and you haven't seen them in a long time and they just ask you how's school and you're like, yeah, it was, it was all right, I guess. You know, it's like, did you like it? Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like, it was kind of, it was like, okay, all right. So, yeah, I mean, Blake, I mean, what'd you make of those comments? Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. And one is just, like, Scotty's energy's been a little different in interviews this year anyway. Yeah, like he's and, not... and Nick's talked about it too, like twice actually now. He's like, we, we want you to keep that same mm -hmm. excitement that you had as a rookie, that every challenge was exciting for you. Um, it's it's not the same because you go from that to like the, the Subway commercial or the Pixel commercial. And, and obviously those are you, commercials. I think like, you mean Bowlway. Oh, uh, sorry, Bowlway. Yes, Bowlway by Scotty. <laughs> Have you had a Bowlway yet? No. I'm, and I'm even if I had, I'm not giving away free advertising oh, on, uh, on the air. That's right. Uh, no way. Um, so <laughs> Better be Blakeway after this. <laughs> I think that... You know, it's it's a little strange. Like, if I think in an ideal world, like, if you could craft what you wanted Scotty to say, yeah, I came off the bench, you know, two-thirds of the time in my college uh, in my college year. Mm -hmm. I came yeah, off yeah. the bench in the playoffs last year, the one game that I, I came back after injury, and this is a way for me to impact the game with my energy right. uh, in a different way. Like, sure, ideal scenario, um, that's something he says, and the the message is consistent that it was like, well, injuries coming back, needed Scotty's ball handling with the second unit to better balance out the groups, and yeah, the energy factor. You also, though, want a player to want to start. Yes, like, of course, of course. And Scotty still played 27 minutes last night, which I'd imagine was probably toward the high end of what he was going to be allowed to do. Siakam played 30. Yeah. I'd have to figure Scotty's load was right around the same, if not a bit higher. 
Um, so it's not like his minutes were were significantly down. It allowed him to handle the ball more. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of usage rate and how often he was initiating as a passer, that was more than what we had seen early in Siakam's absence, where Scotty Barnes was a, a little bit you know, shied away from that or, or was it just a little bit more conservative offensively? Um, so I actually thought that the actual performance suited him and I thought it was a good sign that the Raptors' best minutes in the game were still when Scotty was playing with the starters. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can take all that stuff and, you know, make this all a positive, right? Scotty's going to get the starting job back eventually um, for Wancho, I would imagine. And you use this as a, as a learning opportunity and a building opportunity. As for the comments, like, yeah, he was probably a little bit disappointed. But Nick has also, like, publicly, like you said, said that they need a little bit more energy from him, a little bit more enthusiasm compared to last year. And maybe it's a little, like, a tiny bit of a kick in the butt. Not that I think he really needs it. Um, because, again, his play had been trending in the right direction anyway. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think it's the I don't think it's the worst thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I think he was definitely professional about it because it didn't affect his performance at all, like you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think he did all the same things that you would expect him to do. Um, I thought he was unselfish with his passing. I think at times he was even trying to force feed Chris when Chris mm -hmm. was having a bad game, and it actually led to some turnovers, but I actually liked the intent behind that, right? Trying to get your teammate going on a tough night. Like, I, I like all that stuff, so I think he was professional on that front. And I also think that, like, look, I, I mean, I don't think it was an unfair question by, at all. I think some people were saying, no. like, oh, it's, it's, it's not fair for the media to do this. I really don't think that's an unfair question, especially A guy because comes off the bench for the first time in the regular season in his career. That's an absolutely fine question to ask. And if you didn't ask about it, right. it would be like, I, I get the like, what else is he going to say? Obviously, he's going to say it was fine and it was different. But that's not the point of the reporter. Though. The reporter yeah. has to at least ask the question and then you leave the, the, the option of the response yeah. to the player. Right? And who knows? Maybe he says, yeah, I love it. And like, I, like back in college, I used to love coming off the bench because like right when my team maybe hit a log, like you don't know what he's going to say. Or maybe he says, no, if I ever come off the bench again, uh, you know, I'm burning every bullway in the city down. Like you don't know. You got to ask the question <laughs> and, and let him an say it. <laughs> what if preferred seeing that ad over yeah. the other one? Um, no, but seriously though, like I, I don't think there's any issue with that. And I think some people were like, well, you know, you, they didn't ask the question four times. It's like, yeah, well, when, when a player asks, like answers, Give short answers. Sometimes you do see that kind of quick back and forth. Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't think there was any issue with that, to That's be honest. Fine. But I, I think t for the fan, though, and also for us in the media, like, we're, we don't have to accept, like, we don't we don't have to accept every single answer that he gives. Like, we don't have to, like, he doesn't have to be cheery with the, the situation. Like, I don't think he mm -hmm. owes us that, right? Like, no. he can obviously, he's a very ambitious guy. He's probably not looking forward you to coming up. You want your guys, like, like, it's the same with the OG thing in the offseason. You want your guys to want more for themselves. Exactly. You yeah, want yeah. every guy on that team to think eventually they could be the number one on that team. Mm -hmm. As long as to get there and while they're using that as their guiding mentality, they're like they're still delivering in the role they're currently exactly. in. Yeah. So I don't see any issues here. Nope. If, I, if, if anything else, I actually think that it's it was a good move by Nick, not only because it accomplished uh, keeping the minutes low, not mm -hmm. only because it still got everyone to be productive, not only because they won the game, but also it's like if it does somehow spur them forward and, and get them to play the right way, I also don't mind that either. The thing is, to me, Scotty's not going to be coming off the bench for very long. No. Uh, I, I don't really see any issue with him actually starting. Um, I think that maybe we can have a debate in terms of with Gary's spot in the starting lineup. But to me, yeah, Scotty healthy fits a lot of the gaps in the team. Mm -hmm. Like you, If you liked what Wancho Hunter and Gomez did last night, you probably love seeing Scotty Brooks in the starting lineup. So 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, that was a debate and topic and it was more on Scotty because he got the post-game interview and Gary didn't speak and stuff like that. Like, so people are sort of focusing on that response. And look at who is, like, a bigger piece of the future of the franchise, yeah, right? Exactly. One guy could opt out of his contract after this season. The other guy's in the second year of a rookie deal and just one rookie of the year. So yeah, exactly. uh, there's uh, that's proportionate to right. me. Um, the Gary thing is interesting because... You can go back to, I mean, the moment they acquired him, you can go back to the start of last year. You can go back to the start of this year. The number of times I have made the argument that while Gary Trent has been good with the starters for the most part and those units have been, you know, neutral-ish. They're, they're bad to start the game. They're good to finish the game. Yes. Yeah. I have long maintained that Gary Trent Jr. to the bench helps a lot of the more difficult rotation things this Raptors team's faces, both because it's one more larger guy in the starting lineup that you don't have to worry about bringing like five power forwards in off the bench together. The bench units are always really starved for shooting. It's why every time, even though maybe he hasn't outplayed Delano Banton on balance, like every time Malachi Flynn comes in the game, you can feel that release of having a shooter mm. on the floor and someone who can create their own shot. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I look around the league at the type of players who really thrive in these kind of carry the bench scoring load roles. And there are a lot of guys like Gary Trent. And if Nick Nurse is as unhappy with Trent's defense as he sounded last week, Gary Trent's had a couple better defensive games, it should oh, be said. He, he even dove for a loose ball yesterday. That was, there was a great play where it was a long rebound. Garland had the inside position, but Gary beat him from going from the outside, dough on the floor, saved it to Chris Boucher, and then Chris threw up a bad shot and missed it. But yeah. you know what? Still, that's great effort from Gary, though. Yeah, and, you know, that's great that he responded that way. Yeah, if yeah. you're worried about his defense over the bigger picture, that's a little easier to manage in a second unit as well, where you're guarding, you know, who you're guarding Raul Neto instead of Darius Garland. Right? Yeah. Like, that's a that's a pretty big that's swing. That's a big difference. And yeah. I don't mean any of this as, like, like Gary's season last year was terrific. He yeah, had an awesome really good, regular yeah. season. He took a step as a playmaker, took a step as a defender. The defensive side kind of trailed off by the playoffs, which was unfortunate. But he's really good. And his ability to space the floor for the starters in transitional or closing units will still be there. Yeah. His ability to create turnovers fits extremely well with the second unit. His ability to create his own shot is something he'll have more freedom to do with the second unit as well when they get into the half court. I just, again, I've said this for since Gary Trent became a Raptor, and it's been for different guys at different times. Like, it was mm -hmm. Precious Achua at one point. Now yeah. I'd say Thad probably makes sense as the fifth starter right, right this moment. But to me, he's just like, he's such a great on-paper fit for what this second unit is right now and what it needs mm. to kind of be a second unit that allows you to not play your starters 38 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, this This is basketball. This is not hockey. Like, you're not doing line changes. You know what I mean? Like, Gary's going to still play with a lot of these main playmakers. Right? Yeah. Um, the thing for me is, like, look, I, I still really believe in Gary's talents. And to be honest, if he stayed in the starting lineup, it doesn't really bother me all that much. I mean, again, I think the Raptors can win with him in the starting lineup. They can win with him coming off the bench. These are not necessarily issues, and I think as long as he handles it like a pro, which I thought, again, he took the the challenge on well last night mm -hmm. and really did well in his minutes, took good shots too. Um, you know, there's no issues, right? But ultimately, it's about what sort of balances out the team. And I think on paper, especially with Thad's emergence, being able to play the five, one guy on the team who is not looking to score, who can just, like, help other players, it really does 
play well. Like, I was, again, watching back on the film, what Thad did as a pick-and-roll partner for Fred, there's another guy where Fred can just feed a guy, right? Because other guys, when Fred plays pick-and-roll, because the Raptors have limited bigs, he's got to serve them up a lob at the basket. Not, a, a, any other situation, he's not going to be able to do something with it as a role partner, right? Except for Thad. Thad can actually do a couple of things as a pick-and-roll partner. Thad can be in the post, hit Wancho for a cut. Thad can be in the post, find OG for a high-low feed. Thad can be, you know, in the dunk in the dunker uh, and Pascal drives. Thad's man comes over and helps, and Pascal can shovel pass down low to Thad and finish the play. The point is, none of these are plays where Thad's looking to get his own shots or you have to service Thad. Thad's there to service the rest of the group, mm-hmm. especially when you have that many guys in the starting lineup who can do something. So mm-hmm. there's a real value to that. And, like, yeah, we talk about, hey, how do you get OG as touches or Scotty as touches or whatever when everyone's healthy? Part of that is better balancing the units. And, and yeah, the starter designation from a fan viewing experience or, like, what the final box score looks like isn't that big a deal, but it does help you set your rotations for the game. And if you're going to run an eight or nine man rotation, like the Raptors are probably going to do a lot of the time, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot deeper than that. Um, You know, you're always going to have one or two starters on the floor anyway. Always. always. And so Gary Trent is still going to get those minutes. He can still close games. He can still, you know, maybe he's not a 34 minute a game guy. Maybe he's more of a 28 to 30 minute a game guy in that role, but I would imagine he'd be better in those minutes and the environment around. So, again, this isn't to be negative about Gary Trent, who has responded well to the Nick Nurse criticism. Just like the way Scotty was. And had a a really good game last night, I thought, at at both ends of the floor. Um, This is just about if this is who – these are the bodies you have for the next however many games, and this is the eight- or nine-man rotation you're going to use – I think it all flows a little better with Gary Trent off the bench and that in with the starters. Yeah, and again, it's it's not necessarily about – maximizing each guy it's about maximizing the team what can create more efficient outcomes for you what can lead you guys to play better defensively and of course you have to obviously balance that with the fact that gary set the hit for agency this summer right and and, you know Mm -hmm. that's not insignificant and you could totally understand how you know people can feel one way or the other just like you can understand that with scotty as well but at the same time it's it's a team game It's, it's about servicing the end goal and i think that's what all fans should be going for is like whatever gives the Raptors the best chance to win as a team. Russell Westbrook is coming off the bench. Steph Curry came off the bench, and they won a championship that year. He came off the bench during the playoffs. Yeah. Russell Westbrook has come like, off the bench in 15 consecutive games. It's also not that big of a deal. Like, it's it's not. You, as long as you get your minutes, you get your touches, and eventually you get your money, mm. which I don't. I think Gary Trent is going to do. And, in fact, if this helps your numbers and your efficiency sure, yeah. and your on-off stuff, maybe it even helps you get more of your money. Bench scores get paid. Look at Tyler Hero. Look at Jordan Poole. Uh, last thing I, just, I want to say before we go, I, I do want a press conference where someone asks Gary about coming off the bench and Pascal be walking by and want him to say, hey, P, they want me to come off the bench. Shout out Melo back in the day. All right, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Luke. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks again to Blake Murphy, our board producer, Gary Brandale, Frank Baraska for helping us with the YouTube stream. Talk to you tomorrow.